Welcome back to This Is Hardcore Podcast. You just heard Chemical Fix and their track, Revolver. Big ups to Wyatt and Mike Bafalco for keeping that dirgy, fast, aggressive, underground, punk rock, hardcore spirit going with both Chemical Fix and Fixation. Two bands these guys are in that absolutely fucking kill it. Raising the Philly flag, keeping this shit punk, keeping it fast. Love this shit. This track came out in June. Could find it on their band camp. We'll put the shit in the show notes. And just got a lot of love for Wyatt and Mikey. And everything that they do to keep that side of Philadelphia hardcore. Cool, fast, aggressive, punk. With all the nerd shit. So big ups to those guys. Thanks everybody who came out to the Unity Barbecue last week. And despite some setbacks and some problems from the venue... A shit ton of people got to see a shit ton of bands, courtesy of Bob Wilson, and that goes without saying that. It was a tremendous effort on his part. He dropped down with the vegan food, all the extra accoutrement, so people could sit outside and enjoy themselves, or maybe have some ice cream and go back inside and see another band. So many cool people, so many friends. Next year it'll be better. Sorry for the hassle. Those who walked... After parking their car a mile away or more, God fucking bless you. You could literally say, I walked miles to see a fucking hardcore band. And I love it. So, mad props to you for supporting hardcore. Big out. Big, 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 big shout out to Bob for pulling this shit the fuck off. Alright? It's not easy. 20 bands, Hall yelling at you the whole time. My man pulled it off. Made me fucking proud. Love that kid. Can't wait for you to motherfucking hear this FYA announcement. It's going to blow your fucking mind, but not yet. You got some time. Don't worry. You got some time. Not going to talk too much about shows. Thank you for supporting. We sold a lot of fucking tickets for a lot of shows so far. We've got a bunch of new shows getting added just this week. And if you want to see this kind of shit continue, the only way it works is if you fucking support. There's no other way. No other substitution. There's no GoFundMe you can pay for. There's nothing else you can do besides buy a fucking ticket, be in the front row, sing along, maybe buy a t-shirt. That's what's going to keep this shit going. Nothing else. Stop trying to look for a way around it. You want to be a part about this? Jump into the shows. Don't sit on fucking Twitter and Instagram and quarterback talk about it. Talk about I can't, blah, blah, blah. Be there. Support. In person. That's what to keep this shit going. God bless all of you who did so. I wanted to be quick with all this because I got something really important to say. There's two people in the Philadelphia hardcore scene who are not releasing this information. I'm just telling you because that's how I am. A lot of you walk around with some small problems. You carry it like Atlas's burden. And I'm going to tell you it's bullshit. These people are walking around with some serious health issues. And God willing, they can overcome them. 
Yet they get up and work every day. They get up with a smile. They're some of the most affable people, pleasant, nice people to speak with, and just making the most of their time. And I see a lot of trivial shit get argued about on the internet. A lot of little things kind of trip people up these days. I just want you to think about the idea of one day you woke up, you didn't feel right, you went to the doctor and found out you had cancer, or you have an organ that's failing in your fucking body. This is real shit that people in our scene are dealing with right now, and they're not gloating, and they're not begging, but they're hurting. And so while you're out here complaining about fucking bullshit, that ain't gonna change the price of tea in China, People are dealing with some real shit, still getting up, getting their day done, and still supporting this fucking scene. The support scene thing is cool. It's probably something that just gives them a little bit of um, release and just gets them around people. But the main thing is they're dealing with their daily struggles quietly, and they're not being a fucking annoying peasant on Twitter. So stop that shit. There's bigger problems out there, and you're lucky. You're fucking lucky for not having them. That's all I got on that. If you want to get tickets for our shows, go to phillyhcshows.com. You want to go check out some notes from these shows? It's tihcpodcast.com. This is part two. First was, I think, like four or five ago. Um, I'd have to double check because I'm a retard and didn't write it down. But we got Carl Picaro from... Killing Time, Breakdown, Electric Frankenstein, and just overall New York hardcore fucking legend back. Finish the story. We start out with Breakdown and the beginning of all the friendships that would make the Yonkers crew, whether it was Bill Wilson, who we had on the show with Blackout, Breakdown, and later Raw Deal, how they all came together. And then we're going to start this one a little darker and how Breakdown split up. The origins of Raw Deal and how they rolled into Killing Time and all the things that come since. Carl Bacar is a saint for doing so much in hardcore for so long with such positivity and such excitement still for the scene. And despite having multiple opportunities to play in plenty of other kind of bands, they, he and his friends kept the hardcore scene in their focus and crosshairs and I commend them for it. Side note, we talk about two people who passed in this episode. And I would just like to say that um, it's still hard to deal with the passing of Vision's Dave Franklin. And having not seen these guys since FYA 2020, RIP to Rich McLaughlin, who played in both Breakdown and Killing Time. Last time I seen him was at FYA, and we mentioned him quite a bit. He's a huge part of the story. We talked about Dave Franklin, and I just want to say um, our prayers are still with the family, and their memories live on in stories like this and the music and the things that they gave us. So, you know, keep them in your thoughts, and let's fucking go. Once again, we are talking to Carl Picaro. Yo. In the first episode, we talked about breakdown, and we are going to move into Raw Deal and Killing Time. And as I said before we hit record, we got to start at the schism where breakdown hits 
a moment in youth where arguments between friends turn into the little legitimate schism of the band. So without getting into the details of why, kind of break down, <laughs> try to break down how the party split and then like how coming out legitimately just like kind of came into the fold raw deal. And then what you know of breakdown continuing as breakdown without you guys. That's a lot of stuff right there. Oh, yeah, I mean, good way to start. <laughs> we're talking about like, oh, fuck, like probably if you go, if you go to like summer 86, we're probably like, you know, we're probably hanging out at the, uh, at, at the, at the, uh, at, at the public pool. You know, Bill Wilson might be a lifeguard. Don Angelilli is hanging out. Rich McLaughlin is hanging out. Rest in peace. R.I.P. And everything was cool. And like, you know, got a band together and we started doing the songs and stuff. And, you know, by like, I don't know, by summer of 87, it was beef. You know, I mean, we we created all that music. I think we played for like maybe 14 shows. Show number 13 and show number 14 were were epic. I mean, show number 13 was probably like side-by-side, side, YDL, altercation uh, at the Pyramid Club, booked by Ray Bees and Ray Capo together. Show 14 was, uh, was, was, was breakdown at... CB's opening for Uniform Choice, which was like, I loved Uniform Choice and Unity. I fucking loved those bands back then, and uh, that was like our, that was like our, our like our, our epic like breakout show, and like fucking it went so well, and it was just such a far cry from the fucking early shows we played. It was just like, it wasn't even the same. It was, it, it wasn't even this. It was even close to the same thing, and and was just not something that was just totally un, unexpected because we went from playing like you know the, you know the right track in or Lark Street in Albany, uh, with uh, the New York Hoods and stuff like you know, we, we were playing these you know we were playing whatever shows we can, and then suddenly we got these great shows and it was amazing, and then the beef, and fuck, I mean, I, I it's it's it's. Uh, I don't know, man. I remember. I remember. I, like you said, you didn't want to go into too many details. And I it's mean, not, it's, it's not my story to tell, and it's, it's not it's, my story not, to curate. So it's it's, it's not like they're not. It's not like uh, I'm not. I mean, ult- gonna, ultimately, let me let me stop you real quick. Ultimately, if you feel comfortable with the details, that's yours to say. But I'm not. I don't. I don't need the full raw details if it's something that's going to make anyone who's a part of the whole, whether it's breakdown or raw deal killing time now or the memory of rich any any anyone who's a part of it i don't want anybody upset if that comes out if, but if you if you're good telling it please tell it. i just don't i don't want to make that rule like hey I yeah want no to, i understand, you I understand. Know what I'm saying? like we were just you know we, we we were we were young guys man we were like you know 17 18 19 years old 16 maybe and uh you know it was just like Right now, when we look, when we're, when, when we're looking back on this, you know, like, you know, hardcore is everything because you know that's 
that's what we're talking about. That's why we're here together. But at that time, you know, hardcore was a piece of life, you know, and you you had your fucking high school or your or your beginning beginning of college and your shitty jobs. And, you know, girls were important. And, you know, we had beef over there was beef over a girl. You know, it was it was it was a girl that probably was not like a serious girlfriend of of anyone, but two of the guys in the band. Got the huge fight over one guy hanging out with another guy's girlfriend, and it just it just ignited all these other little these little issues that people had with each other, and it just turned into an explosion where it's like suddenly it was like we wanted to fight like fight each other, and it was just like what? And everyone we went from like playing our best show ever to like everyone hating each other, and. Uh, you would think maybe we could take a deep breath, hang out, kind of like talk to each other, but it was just like it, it that that was not even a consideration. It was just like over, done. I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking smash your head and fuck you. I was like it was like, and that was it. You know, I mean, I I don't know. I think we were just. I, I think we're. I think it was like after a show in the anth- at the Anthrax in Connecticut or something, which was like a. That was a big. That was a, that was a big spot for us to play, and it was a real. You know, away from away from New York, that was like, the closest and coolest scene to hang out in. We were there a lot, and I don't know. Maybe we were hanging out after after a gig at some party with like the guys from Seizure or something like that, and I don't know. One of the guys is in the back seat of a car with. Another guy's girlfriend, and uh, uh, I don't know. Probably nothing all that crazy really happened, but it that was, was the end. That was the end of the band, and and uh, and Tepper's fucking flew. Tepper's went off the off the charts, and uh, yeah. So that was, it. <laughs> that was it. So so Drago, Drago, Rich, and you stayed with Raw Deal, and the. And Jalili brothers, they went breakdown with, with Jeff. Is it or is that how it went? Or, or who who went well, to where? Who went there to was, where? And Jalili brothers, but only one of them was in the band. Yes, yeah, so the like, were they? It's like did the crews did the because I remember our first part one. It was like this beautiful gang of like Yonkers, like hardcore, you know, yeah, the Angelili yeah. brothers, Bill Wilson, you know, Gibson. All these guys are all in in line kind of like all finding hardcore through metal and all this stuff yeah. and then this one thing happens so let's see yeah it, it was it was a struggle because because it wasn't it didn't it it was two guys kind of squaring off but then it was like what are we going to do next and like i don't know i was i i probably you know i was probably the I was really tight with Don, like, you know, yeah. I was also really tight with Rich and I don't know, just something felt like it, it just felt like, it just felt like me and Rich McLaughlin and Anthony Drago. It felt like we were, it felt like we were the crew, man. Like we were the guys that were going to stay, that were going to stay together. And, and that's what happened. Um, and there was three of us. So, I mean, we were, uh, you know, we were essentially, uh, you know the makings of band without a without a without a singer so we just kept we we just uh 
just kept going. We tried to like, we tried to be breakdown. We were like, all right, fuck you guys. We're breakdown. You're not fucking breakdown. And, uh, uh, Steve Reddy was nice enough to, uh, to sit in on a gig with us up in Albany. It was like a VFW gig with probably, I think it was definitely was grill biscuits. Maybe it was side by side. And, uh, I, th- I think he probably had like 24 hours notice and he was on stage with the, with that weirdly folded up lyric sheet from the breakdown demo singing the songs. <laughs> so like, we actually did it. We actually like, we, we, uh, I, I remember, yeah, we drove, we, I, I think we piled into like Rich's like, um, Plymouth Omni. I don't know if you remember those little shitbox yeah. cars. Like <laughs> it, was like, it was like us. And like, for some reason, Sam McFeeders was with us and like, it was the four of us, and we just drove up to uh, we drove up to Albany. We had a U-Haul on the back of that thing, and was like going up the Taconic Parkway, and the car was just kind of like struggling to make it up there. And we and we went and we played that show, and that was like that was like the that was like the weird first like off-brand like breakdown show. But like I don't know. I guess we, you know we. I guess we kind of knew there was something else to do after that gig, um, and. Uh, so uh, I I can't remember I can't remember yeah, really. Let, what let me ask kind you. Of... Let me ask you something because we had talked about and there was that moment where I had brought up hearing that Anthony had really kind of fell in love with Telltale before it was a raw deal song. Well, at that at that at that Uniform Choice show, um, Telltale was already written. It was going to be, I guess, you know, I, I wrote it. I guess it was going to be a breakdown song. We didn't, I don't think we really kind of went too far with it. I don't, I don't know if you, Jeff even really even took a run at like doing any lyrics for it. But we, so, but you know, we, we only had our songs from the demo and we had more time to play. And the crowd just like was so off the hook that we decided, oh, let's play this. Like we know how to play this song instrumentally. Let's play it. And, you know, Jeff felt a little awkward about, standing on stage and not doing anything i guess so he left the stage and anthony was there and uh you know it didn't mean anything at the time but it's just funny to think back on it that like you know it was on what deal was on the stage playing right at that point before breakdown even broke up um so yeah so 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 walk us through was the conversation like all right, we're going to try to do breakdown with different members or did you guys say, Hey, let's just keep doing a different thing. Jeff will do breakdown and we'll work on something new. Like which, where did the, where did the decision get made or was it not even a, 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 like a, like a group decision just went organically? You know, I think, I think we had the show booked in Albany already. So we were like, fuck it. We're going to do it. We're fucking breakdown. Don and fucking Jeff and I'll break down. We're going to go. We did it. But after that we were like, yeah, that's not breakdown. Breakdown was those five guys. Breakdown. Jeff is the singer of Breakdown, and we said, "Fuck it, we're not gonna. We're, we're gonna do it. We're gonna go and start our our, our own new thing." And uh, it was Dwayne from Some Records. It's that that's. I think we put up. A, I, I think we might have put up a sign in 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 Some Records, and Anthony saw it. Anthony was a fan of Breakdown, and uh, I think Dwayne was instrumental in kind of telling us. Hey, you know, check out Anthony and probably telling Anthony, Hey, call the guys from breakdown, you know, and, uh, and give something to try. So it was like, it happened out of some records, you know, just like so many, so many things happened out of record stores back that, 
back then, but you know, some records was the, the hardcore record store and the hardcore clubhouse and, and, uh, yeah, and I, I would credit, I would credit Dwayne, I would, I would credit Dwayne for putting us together. And, uh, right, we spoke on the phone. I don't remember who spoke to who, but, uh, it was, uh, you know, it's funny. We thought about it. We're like, like Anthony from Token Entry. You mean like problems at school, problems at work? That guy? <laughs> like yeah. that's gonna like, we're gonna play with that guy? Because like Anthony had that Anthony had that talky kind of singy talky voice, and I love the I love the Token Entry seven that she was on to this day. I think it's awesome, but it was definitely not our style. So that it gave us a little bit of pause. We're like, well, I don't know, but you know, all right, we'll try it, and. uh and when he showed, when he when he when he showed up, it was it was the day it was Friday after Thanksgiving in 1987, and uh, Anthony shows up to uh, to uh, to Drago's house. Uh, we used to play in Drago's. Drago had like a, a back garage that was separate from his house. That was our practice space and our hangout for like forever. And Anthony shows up. And he's like, "I hope you don't mind. I brought Mike." And we knew Mike because Mike, you know, Mike was uh, Mike had been in sick of it all, I think, a little bit. Mostly knew him from like the New York hoods. Um, you know, fuck. We looked like we were like little kids. Mike looked like he was already like you know twenty five. He he wasn't, but he just had that look. And uh, he showed up with his guitar, which we were like, ah, that's weird. But no, fuck it, let's give it a shot. And uh, it kicked off. And, and the funny thing was, you know, when we were kind of, con- we were wondering what it was going to sound like with Anthony's voice. But the first thing Anthony said was like, hey, you guys, he's like, yeah, you, you, you want me to sing hard? We're like, <laughs> <laughs> we're like, yeah, well, you sing hard. Yeah. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and, uh. I don't remember what song we did first, but what? But the, his voice came out the way it sounds, the way you know it to sound, and it was fucking awesome. And, that, and at that very moment, we're like, "All right, this is this is what we're doing next. This is our this is our uh, this is our band. You know, this is this is what it's going to be." And it, and it was killer. It was it was a, it was like a just a happy uh, happy accident. You know, we didn't we didn't know what to expect from Anthony, having heard his previous bands, and we didn't even know Mike was going to show up <laughs> and uh, there it was Rodale was born and how, Day after how Thanksgiving 1987 how soon was the demo in the works how soon was like the idea of playing shows like um, obviously it, it, it must have been important to you with all the impetus of just all the shit that happened with breakdown how you guys had gone from playing outside the city so much and finally did your city show and people are going like, how, how, how important was that to like, we got to get back on the stage. It was fucking so important. It was so important to us. I mean, I don't think we thought it through a lot, but it was just fuck. It was in our hearts. And like, we were just like, we're going, fuck this. Like, so that was like, so that was November. That was the end of November, 1987. And we played our first show. Um, January of 1988 um, at CB's. And I think I'd like to, I, I don't, you might have that flyer. I probably have a flyer. I don't remember what it was exactly. I believe it might've been like 
I, I'm pretty sure Absolution was on the bill. Maybe he was sick of it all, Absolution, raw deal. And that was January of 1988, I believe. So it really pretty much took zero time to, for us to just to – just, there was no demo. We just like – we just got out there and, uh, and, and, uh, and played. And, you know, I didn't think about it at the time. You know, I, I didn't think anything about it. But, like, there was actually, like, people interested. I, I, people interested, like, everyone – first, everyone knew Anthony not only from – from the token entry seven inch, which of course everybody knew, but they also knew him because you know he's Anthony, man, and he's like you know he had been at the shows forever. He knew everyone. He was a personality. He was a friend of everybody. So it's like the talk. The, so the, the the combination of of us all playing together, I guess. I guess there was a little bit of interest in it, you know, because shit just kicked off. You know, we just uh, we got that we got that first show, which was. Every bit as good as the last breakdown show with Uniform Choice, and uh, yeah, then you guys were on that fucking crazy rich show like a couple weeks later, right? Yes, fuck yeah, yeah. That one was, I, that, yeah. Let me see. To me, that flyer is still like one of my like. It's just iconic, and for those who don't have it, it's a Warzone Underdog Super Touch, sick of it all, Crackdown, Raw Deal, and Project X, January thirtieth, nineteen. 98 or 88 rather and it's like here is uh to me like a great example of like the wave to come in new york hardcore you know like this is all bands that are like on the fucking move obviously underdog was around for a couple years so was warzone yeah like this is like this is that wave that you're like holy fuck and you guys are like immediately in the mix which is why i asked you how soon because it seemed like it didn't take the raw deal long to kind of be a fixture in these New York shows, you know, you know, um, it's, 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 it's astonishing to me at this. When I think back on it, how the fuck did that happen? I mean, it was like the end of November and then January we were playing that show. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, 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 it's crazy. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I guess we were working. I guess we were we were working pretty hard. And you know, when you're younger, man, I guess you don't edit. You don't really edit yourself so much. You don't. You don't get. You don't get overly concerned and and and, and second guess yourself and think about things too much. You just go for it, and, and that's what we did. I mean, we had we already had we already had Telltale, um, and we had Wall of Hate, um, and then. Uh, we quickly put together new release, uh, all the songs, man, they came together so fast, you know, and it was, it was very collaborative, you know I mean? It's like, it's, it was, uh, well, so I was going to ask you, uh, with Mike being in a band, it was, it was really fucking cool with Mike and the band. Like we, we actually, we, we like kind of kicked riffs back and forth together and, and came up with shit together and like, you know, had ideas together, you know, and it was, it, it was great, man. It was, uh, I feel uh, he wasn't in the band long enough, man. He but he bolted so quick. It was like uh, it's kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of a shame, but it was like a that was a, that was a, that was a that was a great uh, great team up of people there. Well, I, I feel like the uh, one thing I, I would like to kind of get uh, from you breakdown is like iconically New York hardcore, and Killing Time is 
you know, in its own legacy of legendary New York hardcore. But the riffs that are some of the basis of some of these songs, which it has a metallic, like you have some of them, like this metallic, like I, I'm, I'm going to fuck up the term. So be kind, but like that almost like a metallic gallop or like a triple, yeah. did it, did it, did it, did it, you know, like yeah, yeah. you guys were able to really explode and, 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 and take that riff. And I was wondering where you chose to use those kind of riff, the ideas for those kind of riffs versus the breakdown stuff, which was like way more straightforward. You know, honestly, Joe, I think it's, I think it really comes down to the fact that, you know, you know, we're talking about like being, you know, um, at the very early stages of being musicians and we just, our, our chops, our chops were just growing really fast at that point. You know, well, like, I think breakdown, the breakdown riffs were probably at the, at, at the, at the very far end of what we were able to play at the time. And uh, same goes for the early killing time stuff. Like we were just, we were just growing as musicians and we had kind of really, I think after all, I think after all those shows we played together, I mean, I say all those shows, but it was only 14, but it was, you know, that was a decent number of shows. We, we, we kind of were starting to, we were starting to find ourselves as, uh, as musicians and as hardcore riff writers and songwriters and having a little bit of, and having a little bit of confidence um, and not being so afraid to stretch out. I mean, you know, when, when breakdown started, you know, it was, it was intimidating, you know, you wanted to, you wanted to fit in, man. You wanted, you, you didn't, you wanted to like, you wanted to play some shit that like people were going to get off on and that was going to be hardcore. And, you know, you, you, we didn't have the same confidence. We didn't have the same confidence level when breakdown started as we did uh, when uh, raw deal started. And you know what? Having Mike and, and 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 Anthony in the band helped that too, because you know, like, I mean, I guess breakdown was like a known quantity, but I kind of felt like you know, I you know, I I still felt like kind of a you know fucking a kid who was like who was faking it, you know, <laughs> you know, like, but uh, you know. I felt like Anthony and Mike, they had, in my eyes, those were dudes that had been around, you know? So, yeah, I mean, they, were, uh, they were like the established old guard. So you're like, yeah, I mean, they really look were. Guys were in bands. Yeah. <laughs> like, these guys look like they're fucking 25. Like, like <laughs> they weren't. But, like, you know, these guys yeah, look yeah. like. Yeah, Anthony has straight up facial hair, and you guys. There's a couple of pictures was like you guys like straight up looking like little kids. Yeah. yeah. We weren't that much different age, but yeah, it's like these guys look like men. <laughs> I always um, I always say like if a guy in hardcore had like a beard, it added like ten years to like already kind of like yeah, long yeah. face so, hair, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I mean that just come back to your question. I mean those riffs were natural kind of riffs that we wanted to play, but it's just like you know. We just didn't. We didn't have the chops to do that kind of stuff and break down. And we we also didn't have the mindset to like be like, all right, we want to do our own thing. We want to try to stretch out a little bit. We were, we were more like, all right, let's just break down. We were like, we want. We just want to have the funkiest, like, break like 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 mosh breakdown that people are gonna want to kill themselves with. And that was like all we wanted to do. You know, like, so like that was our our self focus. 
No, it, it, it's definitely there's a there is a and it's funny it's called raw deal, but there is a raw like more direct energy, and I and I, and it's a combination of all the things. Like there's a lot more rhythm in the plan in the drums. There's a lot more riffs. The choruses are really anthematic. Like it's incredible how these songs have lasted so long. And again, you guys are all young writing this shit, but this is stuff that would like just stay with hardcore literally for the test of time, you know, like specifically telltale specific, like, you know, some of these, some of these songs really are the standout songs that would one day influence, you know, like I, I tell everybody, if you, if you're like Madball and you don't listen to killing time, you're crazy because Matt Henderson and, and Hoya and everyone will say, we loved killing time. We want, we wanted to be like them. And then everything from Madball, whether it was um, no warning and, you know, like you can li- listen to the different iterations that all kind of come back right. to this found- founding sound that Raw Deal brought. And it's just fantastic that it's like you, the way you're looking at it is like, oh, we were young and just be able to explore. And um, much like with the breakdown demo, the Raw Deal demo probably popped up in some records and got you guys really noticed, I imagine, pretty quickly, huh? Yeah, I, it was, I, I, definitely. Like that, that. I mean, those breakdown demos, we fucking sold a ton of them. And like then when we came out with the, the raw deal demo, it was like the, it was like the same thing. It was just like instantly like, oh, can we like have like fifty more of those, please? And we're like, oh, who's gonna who's gonna dub those on their double on their double cassette deck? You know, it was like it was like a, a little factory we had with all our friends. So yeah, that that thing. Uh, that thing made it. That thing made a lot of noise for us, and a lot of people bought that. Uh, bought that cassette, and that's what ended up getting us a tremendous amount of shows, and then ultimately getting us, uh, you know, the, in, in the effect, right? Deal, yeah. So, when we talked about breakdown, we talked about not being like you know connected as enough with the city. See, so you played in Albany, and you guys were like, look, practically like every show possible anthrax had you guys were at how much do you think breakdowns uh, early work of just networking and playing led to raw deal being able to play them same kind of places and do you think with the different tours like the youth of today tour going out and all these different things happening that it kind of helped raw deal get even further down the road quick it's hard to say i you know to me i just think about it as like we played those couple of shows that you talked about the, the rich show. Yeah. Which is like, it's just fun. I hardly have any memories of it. I look at, I look at photos of it. And it's just like, it's crazy. It's just like me and like my like little tight flat top and my, this like really heavy metal, like Dean guitar and my like, you know, peg jeans and look at my, my Doc Martin shoes kind of, like it's like some weird ska kid with a metal guitar and like Anthony and his fucking flannel and his beard. And like, I don't know. It's like it, the memories just like those two shows happened so quick, those CBs and then, and the Ritz. And then it just seemed like we were playing fucking everywhere, man. Like every weekend we were playing, but we were playing, you mentioned like breakdown. Yeah. Like, of course, like, you know, there was places like, like Albany where like there was a really well-established scene and we knew a lot of people there and of course they were going to invite us there um and um and the anthrax 
But then there was like so many other places that were calling and, and I don't really remember how it was happening. We didn't have like anyone working for us. You know, people would just get our numbers and like, I think it was mostly Anthony at the time who was like doing the business. And I think it was basically just like, we have a show you want to play. Yes. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't, there was never like, there was never like any talk of like, you know, like who else is going to be on the bill or like, or where it is or how to get there. It was just like, we always had a show like every weekend and like, and, uh, and they were always just like, you know, just packed out like DIY shows and like, you know, you know, punk, like little punk clubs or like, uh, or VFW halls, just all kinds of like, you know, random like spots, like from like, from Boston all the way down to, uh, you know, probably Virginia was probably like, that was like our, that was our range. And like, like breakdown didn't have the whole Boston thing going on, but like, um, early on we connect uh, killing time raw deal connected with, uh, with wrecking crew. Uh, Hell yeah. And to a lesser degree Slapshot. I mean, we played a lot of shows with Slapshot, but like wrecking crew were just like our boys and like, I don't, it was just like it was instantaneous, just like bros. Like I, I don't even like. I just remember the first time like we went up there. Like it was like Drago and myself were like before the before the before the gig. Like before we even got to the gig, we Drago and I ended up at like Keith Bennett's like grandmother's house, like watching the Metallica Cliff Em All video. Like, and we didn't even know each other, but that's like. That's how the friendships. That's how the friendship started, you know. Then we played the gig, and they would play New York. So, like, yeah. So, like that. We we added like, whereas with Breakdown, we didn't have the Boston thing. With with Killing Time, you know, we we're instantaneously friends with like, um, with Wreck and Crew, and then later with um, Eye for an Eye, uh, and also uh, and also with uh, with uh, Choke and with uh, with Slapshot. So. And we just worked. We just kind of worked those. We kind of just worked those same cities, like over and over again. When I say work those cities, that's like a sounds like a musical, a music no. industry term. That was just like we just played where wherever anyone asked us to play at any time, we just basically said yes because that's no, what we're I doing. That's, I think that that's a that's the way things work. Is like especially at that stage, there wasn't there wasn't anything like there is now. As yeah. far as like the network that there is, so you, it's kind of like I always tell people that you played the tour path. So yeah. there's shows in Philly. Yeah, we want to play down in Philly. Oh, we'll go play Boston. Oh, we'll go play these places because, you know, like you guys are even coming out. I mean, even out to like Bethlehem and random places. I mean, Bethlehem for- was one of our early shows. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, sick of it all cracked down and, and raw deal um, in Bethlehem. And it was yeah. it was great. We played Bethlehem and like those kind of places, like I don't know, what's like Lanca- Lancaster, like yeah, those kind of Lancaster. You guys actually played my neighborhood. Pennsylvania happened before like Philly. Like Philly was not instant for us. Like I don't know. I don't know what the deal with the Philly scene was, but it was like it wasn't like um there wasn't a lot of uh opportunities early for us to play in Philly. I think we no, played we had- one we had a we had a we had one or two main spots. Um, you guys probably, and because it's before my time, I'm only guessing that you guys probably hit 
the um, Pizzazz Club, which was in our neighborhood. Pizzazz we, Pizzazz, we played, and it was a fucking dude. It was a fucking kind of a shit show, man. It was like the real, like it was like it was like the I, I, maybe the first time, we, maybe the first time we really experienced that whole like white white power kind of like thing. Yeah, at a, at a, that was know? a that was a big part. That was a big part of that specific moment in Philadelphia. Right. And um, it was hard at the time because, and this is just like, this is my hand-me-down information from my older people. And this is like a, and I, and I look to if someone challenges, they can come in and explain it better. But there were people who were skinheads. There were people who started getting like indoctrinated more into the white power side of things. Well, let me and tell you, just just it, it there, there was people there at that show who were seemed older, who were really try seemed like they were trying to indoctrinate indoctrinate kids into that. Well, that's like, exactly what happened. There was a huge group forming in the Philadelphia area that kind of started on that path that would later lead to like the stuff that would be like the Geraldo Rivera, and I mean some of these guys. Um, you know, some of these guys are passed away. Some of these guys would go on to be in like legitimate national level white power organizations. And they were based right outside of Philadelphia. And there was a band or two that were sympathetic and would be attached to that. And I know that you guys played shows at one of them bands. And I know like it's always weird when it's like, oh, yeah, tell us a story about the Philadelphia shows. And it's like, oh, what was the crazy thing? Because there was Nazis. Or, hey, tell a story about Pennsylvania. It was Nazis. But like, that started to kind of creep directly into Philadelphia, not in a, Oh, there were skinheads and they were crazy, but like, no, there was like nationalism and like, you know, truly indoctrinated, uh, organized neo-Nazi skinheads that started really being something that had not been a couple years before that. That, 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 that's my, that's my memory of pizzazz. Exactly. Like it was, it was like a, it was almost like a, it was a serious. It was a serious thing. Like I, I, it was not just like, it was not just like a bunch, of, you know, kids like playing. It was like some kind of like real fucking organization happening. Yeah, a, there was a, beef too. Like we, we, when we left, I don't know. I don't know who was with us. I don't know if it was minus or someone got like someone like fucking hit someone with a fucking sawed off hockey stick and like Scotty Banks was there. Someone was trying to fuck with Scotty Banks and like uh, we just like. There was like there was like fucking static, and then we fucking all got in the van and drove off like in the middle of like kind of beef exploding. It was like a, that's it was like it, was, it wasn't a good way to it was it, it wasn't the it wasn't the positive it wasn't the positive Philly shows that I've come to know and love. No, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> me, like as this as your, this whole thing's going at the time, I was uh, eight years old and living like three blocks away from there. Literally, I lived. I lived three blocks away from there, and my next door neighbor was my uncle, and he would literally sit on the porch with a baseball bat, be like, "I don't want none of these punk rockers coming down here." <laughs> but it was uh, there was little a, did he know? Yeah, little did he know? Well, because they they used to have to take the train or the bus, and they would get off and walk down our street, and I guess we were asleep or not even allowed out of the house by the time they would come through, but. There was always like, you don't want these punk rockers coming through here. So to me, I was always like, what are these punk rockers up to? I always hear that shit, you know? <laughs> but um, 
there was bands like um around the same time like rich and uh rich mclaughlin and i used to we used to we used to start going down to i don't know why we did i think rich family had some connection there but we used to start going down to like uh wildwood hell yeah in the summer. and uh and and that's when we started hanging out with some of the philly kids like you know rob daly and like tweets and those guys yeah. you know yeah, That's Rob like Daly a, was involved, and like he was around with all the uh, brick house guys, and yeah, you know. That's like a that was like a cool thing, and obviously like the Pagan Babies and all that stuff. Like yeah, Dan McGinnis and the, and Mark, yeah, and all those Pagan Pagan Babies guys. Yeah, yeah, it's all guys that were like literally all from our neighborhood. You know that whole show thing with all those guys, like it didn't really work in the same way as like uh, the Philly scene wasn't. It wasn't as it didn't seem to be like as regular and as as like some of the other places we would play yeah um i just obviously because a lot of people in philadelphia listen so i had to, I had to bring that up but um so as you're playing all the i mean another thing i'd like to put out before we get further along one of the coolest pictures i think in new york hardcore is the anthony on top of everybody with the slap shot crew neck and yeah. I, to me i love slap shots are all time one of my all-time favorite too, man. and it's literally like you have the singer of probably like one of my favorite New York hardcore bands wearing like a Boston uh, crew neck and he looks cool as fuck. And like as a kid, I'm like, you didn't really see a lot of New York hardcore putting on for a Boston band, but that's like the one most iconic thing, you know? So yeah, because would... they had that like all like kind of be- they had that kind of like storied like old school New York beef like that, you know that you know. That judge sang about, you know, like the like New York crew and all that, like in Boston coming down. But that's like that's like way before my time. Yeah, that's know? like the that's like SSD era. <laughs> like, you know, like yeah. that's like three or four years where you guys really started coming to shows. But it's like yeah. cool it's cool to see that you guys kind of bridge that back. You know, and it's like just for anybody seeing that, look for that picture. It's like fucking one of the coolest things. So at some point, breakdown is an active band again it took them it took them see we 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 had so firmly established ourselves and played so many shows before they before they got going you know yeah we kind of had a leg up just i don't know like like you were talking before i just we we had like we had some kind of like some kind of serious just motivation to just go and we just and that's what we did was there Wasted no time, and it really wasn't. It wasn't about. I mean, there may, there might have been. There was definitely some competition with breakdown, but it really wasn't. That's not really what it was about. You know, it's like just about like this is the time, man. This is what we're doing, man. This is like what we're a hundred percent about right now. I mean, we, you know, obviously we're like you know we're in school or work, and it's that kind of and that's that kind of age where you're like you know you're maybe like starting college or you're starting a job, but like you know. Hardcore was probably number one on our minds back then. So, as it, as you're getting further along down the the proverbial road, obviously we spoke to your best friend and longest friend, Bill Wilson, who was in the beginning of starting out Blackout with Jim Gibson, and they were getting the Where the Wild Things Are comp together. But I I, I wanted to ask you more than I, I think I made a mention to him, but like I went to like actually ask you where do you think the impetus was specifically to uh go to in effect instead of trying to work out like a, a deal out where you guys were on blackout 
That's a good question. Uh, you know what? I mean, I just uh, time and think, place was it a situation that Bill didn't have Black, it. Bill wasn't ready yet. I think, I think Blackout was was you know just starting out, and and Bill was our boy, and like you know he was killing it and selling like you know driving around in, to every gig in his black Buick Skyhawk and boxes of records, and it was, but like I. I, I but people were calling us. People were calling us from like offer offering us bigger things, and like you know, I guess you know, we just kind of were just following like we we're just following that man. We we're just following like what was happening, and like you know, Howie Abrams and and, and Steve Martin from uh, from In Effect, you know, wanted to do the, the wanted to do the uh, the record with us, and they had already signed Sick of It All, who were like at that point. I mean, there was there's many eras of like brother bands, but at that early stage, like you know, Sick of It All was our brother band, you know, and like they were signing with the uh, uh, with In Effect, you know, and like you know, uh, uh, the band uh, 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 Agnostic Front had something to do with the, like the live the live record, and like you know, and it's like I don't know, it just seemed like. It just seemed like the thing to do for us. I guess we were just kind of just following along um, on, 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 I don't know. That actually explains it pretty damn well, us, to be yeah. no, What's it, that? It explains it pretty damn well. I hate to I mean, say, I hate to say, I hate to say it was like, it was like the, it was the bigger option, but you know, that seemed to be like what it was. It was like, this was like a legitimate we were some kids that were just like kind of coming out of the garage and like we were getting noticed and like, you know, here was like a bigger label that wanted to do something with us. And we're like flattered, I guess. And we're like, yeah, let's just do that. And sick of it all was already doing it. Like, um, so yeah, that's, I, I don't even think it really even got, I don't, you know, I don't even think it got to the point where it, we, I, we even had a discussion about doing yeah, anything. There was, it wasn't that. really that it wasn't, you, you didn't choose, you didn't choose someone over Blackout. Blackout wasn't. No, because you know what? Like Blackout was like Blackout had just. We were already talking with uh, with in effect, and we were also talking with a label called Giant Records. I don't know if you remember them. They ended up signing like some other New York hardcore bands, Bad Trip, and uh, I can't remember who else. But like, uh, they also did some punk records. They did government government issues. You record. Okay. Um, like, but we, like, we were having those conversations before, like, before Blackout was really established, like the, all Blackout had was that compilation. And I remember we had to tell, like, we had to, we had to say to, uh, in effect, yeah, we're gonna, we'll do this, but we already, we're all, we're already slated to put these record, these, these songs out on this compilation. So you gotta be okay with that, you know? So I, th- I think it was kind of like. It was before Blackout was established enough to even be talking about doing a Killing Time record when we when we started to have the conversations with uh, in effect about signing with them. Huh. So it was a timing thing, I think. Yeah. So walk us through. The- and our other brother, our other brother band at the time, Uppercut, they ended up being Blackout's first release. Yeah. Uh, for a single for a single band you know well that's like the that's the thing that i was going to get to is it it starts to be 
you and Sick of It All are on one thing and Uppercut gets on to Blackout and then do you guys still try to link up and be a part of the Uppercut stuff or were you any impetus being on a label with like some actual publicity and stuff like that that you felt like you were going to be pushing yourselves in different directions or were you guys are still going with the flow and playing the kind of shows that would come through? See, this is where it gets murky and gets convoluted and gets kind of like it. It, it really depends on on, on well, I guess who you would ask at the time because I don't know our decision make. Let's let's just put it this way: like you, what I said about our shows about like we would just play anywhere, any anyone asks us to play at any time. Like once we got onto onto. Uh, to in effect, it was more. I think it was definitely more of a conscious decision for us to stick around in the hardcore scene and to be brother bands with Uppercut and to be brother bands with Outbursts and to be brother bands with Maximum Penalty. Um, Fuck yeah! Because in effect was like, oh, you guys should go on tour with Overkill. <laughs> like legit, I'm, I, I'm not making that up. That's like legitimate. <laughs> like, but we well, didn't go connected with like the combat core world. So yeah, like- yeah. So that was like that was that that was the that was the path. That was a clear path that we chose was to be like, all right, now we're like we're gonna stick to what we to to the scene that we came out of and 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 what we're about and our friends and. uh people that we know that are doing shows now at a certain point whether it was uh the end of 1989 the beginning of 1990 a lot of hardcore sh- in new york started shifting and new york hardcore shifted a little bit away from cbs because of the violence and there started being different shows at places like abc no rio and the sound shifted a little bit away from the traditional hardcore i mean this is also like your record. I mean, dude, your record came out in like the year for awesome records like GB leeway. I mean, you guys played that fucking that other rich show in 89 with leeway that we talked about on the early leeway podcast as well. And it's like, it seemed like 80, 88, 89 was like the, the high point. What happened when it started to shift into different things? Where was your heads as far as killing time goes and like how were shows in that scenario as the it was, decade shifted. It was kind of sad to be honest, dude. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's like, it was a scenario where CB's got crazy. CB's was our home. That's where we, that's where we, you know, that's where, you know, from 86 to 89, 90, like you're talking about where I spent pretty much every Sunday, you know, and that's like, that's like the scene where we're all our friends were and that's where we were. And, uh, and then it got shut down because of all the violence and it what hurt more about it was the violence seemed to be created by the people that liked our band, you know, it's like, fuck, like, it's like dudes are coming with fucking hammers Guns are going off. People are getting fucking slashed. You know, 
it's like, yeah, we wanted to create riffs that were going to make people want to go fucking wild, but not that, not, not like that, you know? And, and then there was no shows at CB's. And like I said before, you know, we were in a, we were in a stage in our lives where like we, 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 we made the decision, you know, as a band, you know, not everybody agreed on it, but we made the decision that we weren't going to go on the road with overkill or whoever else, like our label wanted to, to send us out with. We were going to stay and continue to be hardcore and pursue the other things that we were doing in life. And, and suddenly there was no, suddenly CBS is shut down. It's so fucking violent that they can't even have shows anymore. And our friends like sick of it all and get gorilla biscuits. They're not around because they're on the fucking road. Um, then this other scene happens at ABC No Rio, and they hate us. <laughs> it's like, well, that's what, what? I was. I was. That's what I kind of <laughs> wanted. That's kind of what I wanted to ask you about. Like, because the violence was not always focused on Killing Time, but Killing Time was a prominent band that bad shit went down on. Somehow, you guys got blamed. And you guys weren't welcomed, but you were playing. But you you were you were friends with Absolution. You were friends with all these guys who were playing in these other bands, or in the bands you were friends with at, at, at ABC No Rio. And they were like, "Nah, no shows for you." Well, yeah, I mean the the decision to sign with a label like, um, like in effect, kind of put the imprint of like you know rock star sellout on us. With the ABC New no Rio kids, like we were just, if you want a label like, like that, a maximum, it was like a New York version of the maximum rock and roll crap. Absolutely, no question, dude. And it's like it didn't matter for sick of it all. They were they already fucking, you know that they, they they were a lot more focused than us, and they were already like fuck it, dude. We're like we're we're on the road, man. We're doing our thing. <laughs> like you, you, you know, you may be sitting around in New York, not getting any shows at ABC No Rio, but we're like, you know, I don't know, we're in fucking, we're in California or we're going to Europe, you know? So, so it was, it was, it was a very difficult, challenging time for us. And it's, in retrospect, it's so, it's just, it's so stupid because like, there was such a huge gulf between the ABC No Rio crowd and the CB's crowd there really wasn't. I mean that there was enough of a there was enough of a, a, a of a chasm that we were not welcome or invited to play ABC Do Rio. We might not even have wanted to if we were, but like you know, the so now in in, in these days, like this, it doesn't matter. Like there's so many of my so many of my friends like were now were ABC No Rio kids. You know, like. But at the time, it was like, it was it was it was literally like you know two different scenes, man. And uh, yeah, Killing Time was like they were we were the old scene, we were the old violent scene, we were the old violent you know you know sellout rock star scene that that nobody over there wanted. And it, it was a uh, it, it it was a difficult time for us, and that's it's what contributed to us. Uh, breaking up because we just didn't have our home anymore. We didn't have our scene anymore. Our scene just kind of got shut down. Now I know, um, Bill had kind of explained that he always felt as if 
the straight edge stuff that he immersed in or saw coming in the New York hardcore split things up. And then it seems like you guys survived two separate specific waves of people that kind of came in and shifted the focus and the direction of the New York hardcore scene culture. And um, it, it, I really liked hearing your perspective because there were obviously like, there was a band like Life's Blood who was still a band at ABC No Rio. There was some bands that were considered still acceptable there, but for the mainstay, regular New York hardcore CB matinee bands, were kind of villainized, not just in MMR or MRR, but just also at the ABC No Rio. And um, before we talk about you guys the, with the first breakup, I wanted to say that uh, I remember in the um, book about City Gardens, and this is in my notes, that there was this chain of strength show, what you guys envision. Yeah. And um, I found it amazing that, like, Breakdown's first show, you're psyched just to play with Uniform Choice and Unity, and yet the kind of opposite thing happened where you're getting asked to go down and play C- uh, City Gardens with Killing Time, and, and neither you or Vision were, like, fucking cool with Chain, and so they ended up having to play last, and no one gave a fuck about them. <laughs> I remember that. That was a good... Uh... And that was, like, a thing where chain rub sick of it all or someone wrong from new york and i remember hearing like i remember hearing them getting kind of like clowned in a lot of places and then we, we, guess- we didn't we didn't have a lot of respect for those guys at the time let's just let's just put it that way yeah well just see it was like kind of interesting that like you go from being like a new york hardcore kid super excited to play with a California band to being like, fuck these dudes from California. <laughs> that's like, that's like my, that's like, it's not, it's not the right take to say, but I just kind of like, when I was thinking about what you had, we had in our first conversation and then like four years later, you're like, nah, fuck those dudes from Cali. They could play last. Yeah. I, <laughs> hey, I don't know. Time, man. It's part of the time, man. I mean, it is part of the time. but I, you know, I grew up loving like, uh, like, like old, you know, I, I grew yeah, up loving know, all the straight edge stuff. So, yeah. You, you, know, you know, even all the, you know, you use it today and like, like that was all like important stuff to me. Like, um, but, um, straight ahead. <laughs> I mean, I was like, so, when, and, and like you know, the, the way I felt like like breakdown was very breakdown was very accepted as a, in the straight edge scene. Like we were like they were happy. Like we were we were we were all part of the same scene. The, the same the same uh, was with uh, Killing Time too. We we played many shows with straight edge bands. We you know we had a kinship with uh, with uh, with the Gorilla Biscuits and uh, and a lot and a lot of the groups. And then that just stopped. And I, and I don't know. I, I feel like it was a decision on, on behalf of the straight edge kids to not want to play with bands that were that were not straight edge. Yeah. So it quickly became the straight edge scene and like the negative scene. Like like I didn't really think we were negative band. I mean, maybe yeah. I mean, we we're kind of we're kind of, we're, we're kind of aggro dudes and stuff. But like, I didn't think we were. I would never have put like, I would never have put the negative tag on us myself. We weren't the nihilistics, but that's what had happened. And then like, and then there was no longer any mix between Killing Time and any straight edge bands. And then there was like the negative scene, which was like, 
far from negative. It was like us, outburst, and maximum penalty, and sheer terror. Like, like though, then, then we were, then that was the group of bands that would play together. And there was a, a number of others, of course, too. But like, those are the uh, like ones we played with the most. So that there, I, I don't know when that 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 particular schism happened, but that that was that was something that happened at, at one point. Sure. Well, now, my my question is just relative because at some point you guys do do that big tour. You do that tour, and you head out west. So like that wasn't even, that wasn't a tour, man. Oh, it was this a bunch of shows? We just got on a plane, dude. We got on a plane and did one show. Oh, I thought you guys because I know you guys went out there. <laughs> it was fucking hilarious, and I, I I cherish it. It was like it was it was it was a sick of it all vision and uh, uh, and killing time. Um, and we we went out and played at the uh, at the country club in Reseda. That was one gig, man. Oh, see, I seen a flyer for that, and I was like looking around for other flyers. So that just makes total sense. Because I'm like, I mean, it makes sense for you to think it was a tour because it should have been a tour. It was really kind of silly that it was just one gig, but that's what it was. Yeah, and then you guys had the East mess. You had the East, and that, East and that record came out as a result. Yeah, you guys did that, and Carry Nation was on that, and then. Yes. At some point, at some point, uh, you guys start flipping members around, just because of just different things going on inside the band, right? Like, Rich, well, Rich had left, and you got a different guy from uh, Inside Out, and then you guys are like, there was a lot of. It felt like is, and that's why I was getting to not so much specific details, but you think because of the the way New York hardcore shows were heading that things were changing internally in killing time at that point. No, okay. I, I'll give you the whole thing. Like, and, and I'm not trying to, ba- I don't want to bag. I'm not bagging on any, anyone. This is like, yeah. take, take this for what it is reality and kind of funny. But, um, on the eve, on the, on the eve of us going, uh, signing with, uh, in effect records, um, and, uh, getting ready to, to, to go off, to go ahead and, and make the first record, I get a call from Mike and he wants to talk to me and it's like serious, serious. And like, I'm, it's, it was serious at the time, but it's funny now because it was like, Mike had just gone to see, um, uh, Guns N' Roses did a video shoot at the Ritz. I think it was for their, it might've been, it was probably welcome to the jungle. And like a lot of the hardcore kids went cause they, 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 it was like a special thing where it was like in the afternoon and it's like, come and just like, you know, be part of this video shoot. And like, he became like, so like enamored with like that band and like what they were about. And like, he, he didn't want to, he didn't want to get involved with like making a hardcore record and being on a label and being signed to a label and like that being his future. Like it was like, it was like a, a personal musical crisis moment for him. And like, he's like, I'm, I'm serious, dude. It sounds it's awesome. Insane. It's so fucking awesome. I'm trying not to laugh, but it's great. Like, <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> it's like, like finding Jesus. Oh yeah, you found Axel Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing about it too is like, you know, he could have went and joined like you know Junkyard after that or something. But like, the next band he was in was was Nausea. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like the most fucking <laughs> ill punk. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well anyway you know it's like you know when you're that young man it's like you get extreme about things and sometimes it doesn't last that long you know but like so that's the first change in the band that's the first change in in, in the lineup it was 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 mike bailing on the on on the eve of recording you know and uh so that left us that that, that left us in a position where we're like all right what are we gonna do and we we sort of decided that we were going to continue as a four piece. At least we, we thought we had all decided that, but rich was rich was rich was well, rich really wanted to, to be a five piece and move over to guitar and then add another bass player. And he was the, he was the only one that like, you know, he was the only one that was feeling that, you know, like, and, uh, so when we when we recorded the Brightside record, and he wasn't, and he was the bass player and not the second guitar player, and he was an awesome bass player and did a fucking great recording on that record. But when he was not the second guitar player, he didn't want to be in the band anymore. So that that that's what happened with that. So like, then we had to get another. Then we had to get another bass player, and we and we got out. You know, Alex Kapoyan from. Uh, from inside out and Alex was, you know, uh, you know, uh, killing time practice in white plains, Alex and, and the inside out guys were from Hartsdale, which is like, you know, kind of next door. Alex was like probably a better musician than any of us. And <laughs> just like, <laughs> you could pick up the shit like that. So it's like, he ended up in the band, you know, that's that, that it, it wasn't a reflection on anything that was happening, happening externally. It was really all just, it was all, uh, you know, internal. And then, you know, Alex, I, I don't know if you ever heard of the band uh, Justice System. Do you yes. know who that is? Okay. So Alex was like, he really had his 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 heart set on like being a hip hop guy, like like being in a, a live hip hop band like The Roots. And they, they started that band, him and his brother and a bunch of other guys, um, one of the guys from Inside Out, they 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 started that band Justice System, and uh, he didn't want to. He wasn't he wasn't having being in 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 uh, in hardcore uh, anymore. So then eventually we got uh, we got Sean O'Brien to take his place on bass, and at that point we brought Rich back and like, all right, now now now, now it's t- we weren't ready a few years ago, but now it's now we're ready for you to be the second guitar player. And that was like, that was the, the early lineup changes, I guess. And um, I guess from there, where does the band, like, obviously, where does the band go? I know the Happy Hour EP came out. Like, what does the band do in the early 90s as so much of the 80s hardcore scene dissipated or became, like, sick of it all and grew to be, like, a bigger touring thing? Like, where did you guys find your place at that point? And what were your thoughts like going forward after that? Uh, after you did the EP, to be to be honest, Joe, we didn't find our place. That's the whole thing. We just didn't find our place. We didn't know. What to, we didn't really. We didn't really. We didn't really know where we where we belonged. I mean, it's a shame because like there was a lot. There was a lot for us to do, but like being in New York and 
focused on what was happening in New York. We, 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 we didn't, we didn't, we felt like we didn't have a home anymore. And, uh, so, you know, we had written those songs for, uh, for the happy hour EP and those songs are just really, they're really a tremendous departure from where we were before that. But I really liked that record and, you know, and like we went and we did it with, uh, we went and we recorded with Don Fury and, uh, that was like a kind of our swan song. I mean, we, uh, we played a show and I was looking at some flyers. We played a show at Lemoore's with like power surge, I think, and maximum penalty. And like, I don't know, man, we became so disgusted with one another. <laughs> at that show we were just like oh fuck you fuck you fuck you and it's like i think that was it and we re- we just recorded we recorded the happy hour ep with don fury and it was like fucking sayonara but then like before almost any time had elapsed we got a call from uh Mark, M A D, my boy, and uh, he wanted us to come to Europe, which is fucking awesome. But uh, Anthony ended up bailing out, man. Anthony was in, <laughs> and uh, and like I was kind of touching on before, it was, a, it, was a, it was it was a time in our lives where like everyone was kind of like in college or le- or or or. or are trying to get trying to get a job or trying to establish themselves in life, trying to figure out what they were, what they were going to do. And like, you know, some of these other, some of these other bands were a lot more focused about what they were doing with their music and like, and, and kind of going for that and just like, just focusing on that. And we were just like all, we were as members, we were all over the fucking place. And, you know, Anthony was like, Anthony had designs and doing some uh, on his career. It's like something came up at the last minute. He was like, I'm not going on the tour. We're like, oh, fucking come on, dude. And like, you know, we, Dave, we love Dave Vision. He was like, he was, he was like, he was our boy. He was like the stylistically, he's probably like pretty far from what we were about, but like in terms of like, being a guy that's our friend and a, a legitimate hardcore singer who knows what he's fucking doing. Yeah. He was the closest guy that we fucking had. It was like, who else are we going to fucking get? You know, like, let's just call Dave. And he was, and he was down and we went and played, we went and played, uh, played Europe with, uh, with Dave. And, uh, and I don't remember what happened, but that was like, yeah, it was before like, I was like, Alex Capoin was already not in the band, and uh, um, Sean wasn't in the band yet. So Lars joined us. Lars from uh, yeah. Hot and Judge. He he joined he joined us uh, he joined us as the, as the uh, bass player on that tour, and uh, and we and then Killing Time lives. You know, we were yeah. just about to be done, and then we were and there was a new lineup. And we were off in Europe, and we played a really long ass European tour, and we had a fantastic time. And we uh, we met up with Crawl Pappy for a couple shows, and Mike Sankowitz yeah. was in Crawl Pappy at the time. So it's like, uh, yeah, it was uh, 
strange times, man. And we were definitely just kind of feeling ourselves like at that point, like, you know, we had the happy hour stuff, which was, you know, a little bit more, you know, rock, a little bit more metal. And, you know, we had our, we had the, uh, you know, entire bright side record and we still had, even with all that material, we had to like, we had to like fill out a set because in Europe we had to play like at least an hour. So there was like yeah. all kinds of cover songs that were in the set and like, you know, it was a kind of a kids, mixed response. Kids play, play this one again. Yep. <laughs> like the shows were amazing at the time, you know, like the review, the, the, the reviews were mixed because we didn't present, we didn't present the, we didn't present the killing time that, you know, people kind of expected from our earlier days, you know? Well, I, I always Our, wondered how Dave like two years prior, but you know, still Dave being like a a very clean, not quite Zoli level ignite, but like vocal singer. I always wondered how, and I've always been looking for videos to hear what Dave did doing the Killing Time stuff. Dave, Dave was Dave was an enunciator. Yeah. <laughs> like oh, 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 everything was everything it was like everything was all the lyrics were 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 very very clear and 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 able and you could understand them he was like a, a very a very loud talker almost you know that was his style in killing time i feel like the killing time and iceman and maximum penalty and so many bands yeah, I forgot I to mention Ice before when I talked about our brother bands. Well, Ice band, like, yeah. there's a group of, there's a solid group of bands that, at a certain point in the early '90s, and 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 you and you said it, and it makes the most sense. Being new from New York, there's always, as a Philadelphia person, my my overview of New York people, is that they're so New York fucking focused at times that they don't see the rest of like the whole world might as well just be in New York City, like the boroughs. I mean, I really wish I did see the rest of the world at the time, but I didn't see anything except. Yeah, what you're was just happening. like, well, there's no shows in New York, so we might as well just give up. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like to me, I I think of hearing these stories about you today going to Europe in '87 and GB going in '90, and it's like, of course, Killing Time had to go to fucking Europe. Like it, like in the pantheon of bands, you guys stand with that stuff, and so I think it's cool that you guys were able to do it, albeit even though had Dave Franklin, who was obviously RIP, um, had to be the, the vocalist, but it had to bring some kind of next next uh, shot in the ass of like uh, adrenaline to push the band or at least give interest to like, hey, maybe uh, we, we shouldn't break up and let's push forward. It, it should have, right? It should have, but yeah. like we didn't, we got back. When we got back, I think we kind of toyed with the idea of Dave like being the fucking singer. Like, but Dave was like, you know, Dave was like, he was Vision, man. And Vision had shit to do, you know? Like, it wasn't like. Yeah, Vision wasn't was about to hit their second wave of like. Yeah. Their second wave because they're like a band. Uh, they're, they're a band that not only means a lot to me. A lot of the people from it mean a lot to me too, man. All those fucking guys, and especially Dave, man. I miss him. Um, I'm gonna say something on this podcast that is not relative to uh, to your story, but interesting. So we booked these shows with H2O and Wisdom and Chains, and Vision was on it, and Pete Tabbitt had said to me, "Hey, man, 
I don't know what's going on, but this looks like your show might be the last vision show. So he put it on the flyer, last vision show. And uh, I get the fucking call from Dave. Take that the fuck off this flyer. That's not our <laughs> show. And so they open up with the fucking intro from Boston. I remember that, yeah. It's so fucking incredible. And they rip the motherfucking house. And Dave gets on stage and he's like, this is not our last fucking show. <laughs> and he's like, this is like, I'll tell you. When I, and backstage, he said to me, um, when we do a last show, you're going to be a part of it. But I've got more shows to do. Don't let these motherfuckers tell you otherwise. Yeah. And four days later, he passed away. Or like a week later, something like that. Well, that was and, then? Holy and, shit. And dude. so that ended up being the very last show. And as like a 15-year-old long hair hardcore kid in the mix, Dave Franklin was like the first guy who I walked up and like punished in a hardcore band. And <laughs> instead of him being like, avert your eyes, peasant, and like get the fuck out of here, he was mad cool. And he was boys with Jamie Davis. And Jamie's like, oh, that's Joe, whatever. And that was one of those small little like building block moments where I realized like, I mean, at the same time that I was so excited to see Dave from vision, I had a copious collection of rock and roll Ticketmaster tickets signed by people like Rob Halford that I would wait to get them signed by. And instead of it being like him being like, give me your ticket to sign. He's like, Oh man, what, you know, what bands are you into? Like it, it, it shifted my focus greatly to interact with him at that stage. And so, like, there's always been, like, a Dave Vision. And I, I love Fran uh, Vision. I love Dave Franklin. And it's like a huge, and that's, like, another band. Like, in the midst of all this crazy, heavy shit that was coming out then, Vision was fucking killing it, just doing them one of the same songs. And, like, it's just an impactful band for me. And that dude specifically yeah. was an impactful person in my evolution into hardcore. So, all right, uh Sorry. Sorry for getting emo on that, but <laughs> why not now, right? So... The band, what what do you do? Like, what do you, what do you say when like, hey, I guess we're not doing this. Like, what is where is your thought? Because this has been it sucked. Oh. It sucked, man. To be honest, like, like probably be sucked because I was more like, you know, I I I probably was probably the guy more. I was probably the guy less into like being a having a career outside of the band and more into just doing the fucking band than some of the other guys. So it just fucking sucked, man. I mean, but like, I really felt like it was important, like to have though, to, I, I thought that unit was fucking important. Like in like, everybody wasn't, everybody wasn't on board. And then even to continue locally, there was no room for us. Like, it, it's like, it, it just fucking shifted away, man. Like, so it's like, we weren't going to tour and we couldn't play locally. And it was just like, fuck, we're not going to do fuck. We're not going to do fucking anything. So we stopped. But like there's, 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 there's a connection between us that never fucking ends. You know, it's like, so we stopped. Fuck. Yeah. We stopped. But then we were, then a few years, a few years later, we put out another fucking record, you know? So it's like, um, and we found, you know, like a whole another scene that that was happening like around 95 or 96, which was kind of there probably the whole time, but we just kind of found our way into, to integrate into it. So, uh, 
Yeah, we didn't do shit. We, we well after 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 uh, we came back from Europe, we didn't we didn't play again. We didn't play again until like probably uh, uh, I'd say it was nineteen ninety five. We played a sh- we 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 jumped on a show uh, at the Wetlands with uh, with Warzone. It was fucking sick, dude. It was fucking sick. <laughs> I don't remember who else was on the bill, um, but uh, it was great, man. And then that, and then we, and then round two started up, and we started working on the method round, method songs, you know. I talked uh, about this, and the method's fucking out now on vinyl. Well, that's where I was going to get to. <laughs> the fucking the the method the method was the shot in the ass that I thought Europe would have been, and there there was this amazing show that still I have it on VHS, but some of the Killing Time video is cut out. And it was Vision and Killing Time at the Down Under Club in New Brunswick. And that... Oh, the Down Under Club in New Brunswick. Yeah, it was like a little basement almost. Oh, dude. And that was like like April 97. And that was more towards like... That was... We had been playing for a couple years at that point. But like that was when I think Killing Time had kind of hit a fucking stride for me. Like... I remember because of Jamie and all the people in Philly who really put us on the so many hardcore bands, like it was ingrained, like you like killing time, <laughs> you know, like between that and uh, I want, I hate to drop back, but like the idea of like the in effect and the videos and all that stuff that like you guys were a part of that whole lineage. Right. So the in effect video cassette put us on the checkout and then it was one effect records. And the thing that like killing time had all this whole thing, it was very fucking, it was very much like, holy fuck. And I remember it's like a year and a half. It's a year and a half. Oh no, it was a year. It was a, it was a, it was like four months after the AF reunion. And it was like a perfect time for where I think like hardcore started shifting m- more towards some of these New York hardcore bands that kind of were not the focus in that first half of the nineties, which is why I brought it up. But that, that show specifically was one of these small packed, epic fucking killing time shows that were down here. And it was just like, I still to this day think it's one of, one of the best times I've ever seen you. And you guys, but you got, the down under. yeah, the down under club. That was fucking wild. That was but I mean, fucking... but you guys, you oh, guys came what was, back. What was, it, was that the place that had the basement? Yeah. Didn't have a, is that the, wasn't that, didn't have another name that club? Uh, to my knowledge, it was the, and I'll double check, but it was, I believe it was called Down Under or something. It was like a hall. Was in, that the Court Tavern or something like that? No, there was Court Tavern in Broadswick. That was a different, that was also a different club. That was a smaller one. Okay. And, um, but the, the, um, really what I was getting at is like, it was very great to see Killing Time get this like fucking, like this, like the second shot, you know, like as all of us were getting into hardcore, you know, like we were fucking way 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 like excited about these kind of bands that we talk about on the podcast whether it's like the Iceman and max on penalty <laughs> it was fucking sick but what do you think the method doing being released on blackout while blackout had like some real heat do you think that that kind of was one of the things that got you guys rolling again or do you think it was as a general that there was um the beginning of the return of CB shows and there was like a returned interest in like actual New York hardcore that kind of like shifted that focus. Listen, I, I hope that the current fucking blackout releasing the vinyl is going to give us some fucking heat, but unfortunately 
if I'm going to be honest, back at the time, I don't think the I don't think the heat really came from from uh, from it being released on Black Eyes as much as it did us just being out there on the uh, on the streets, man, and playing with all these fucking new bands and playing and playing big shows and being able to combine like the draw of people wanting to see us plus like some new bands that had a draw and like it being a thing, you know, and it being like a little fucking different, like then like a little, just a different flavor, like that we were bringing and a different flavor that the other opening bands were, were, were bringing. And some of the bands that we were like, we were supporting bands at the time too. So it's like, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, like, Killing Time and Kissing Goodbye or Killing Time and Dead Guy or Killing Time and H2O, you know. I was a different I was I was a different killing time and it was like a different look on the kind of bands that we were we were playing with. And it was well, yeah, uh, I think that obviously because of people like Dead Guy, Tim being and had that zine boiling point and was in no yeah. escape. Like all these guys who were in these different bands all still had a lineage tied to hardcore that they're going to be like fucking super psyched to play with you guys, you know? Yeah. Even like, yeah, even like bands like that kind of just had like, they didn't have a lineage in hardcore, but they had love for hardcore, like, like sweet diesel playing shows with like bands that were just a little different, you know, it was like, it was a good time there in the, in the mid nineties. And it was, you know, with different, you know, we had like a thing where we would play at that place in the tune in, you know, the anthrax oh, yeah. was, the tune in was a crazy fucking place to go. Kick it all. Connecticut at that time was violent, by the way. Like that wasn't a that wasn't a that wasn't a soft spot to go to. Um yeah. No, there was a lot of there was a lot going on. I think it was cool. And then, you know, not to get too like pandemic on like little details, but it was badass to see that victory somehow snagged up and re-released, you know, the record that was like, I think, well, I mean, you know, they didn't just snag. I mean, I had definitely a lot to do with that, you know, and like, Oh, all right. So that was what I was get to you. How much, that was why I brought it up. How much did you have to do to get that out there? <laughs> oh, fuck. I don't want to talk too much about it. Cause there was definitely no, some, fuck- you, could, you could do some, there was definitely some like, there was definitely some beef over some fucking different deals and shit that happened. Like, but like that, I mean, I, that I, I just, I just made that happen by just getting, you know, the rights to, to do it. And I was dealing with Tony all the time because like I was, Bill and I were working together. I was like a, I was like a, I was a, I was a full-time, uh, employee of, uh, of blackout records at the time. And I think, you know, I think Blackout Records was like um, probably coming running out of my apartment at that point. Like we had an office in my loft in Chinatown, and like so, to, it, you know, we you know you're dealing with all all these different people, and like Victory was like a distributor at the time. Like you know, I was on the phone with like with uh, with with Tony all the time, you know, and I was also I was playing in a band called uh, Electric Frankenstein, and uh, um, which would end up being Victory. Which were on victory. We stayed at Tony's house, and uh, yeah, we just cooked up the idea of like 
of, of him putting the the Brightside record out, which I thought was fucking awesome because it's like that like you couldn't find it. It was out of print. The label that 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 put it out was just not around anymore, and it was like. But everyone that was into hardcore was into victory. So that you know, I think that was probably the thing that gave us the most juice in terms of like labels at the time, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I was happy to be able to do that. That kind of I think that helps solidify the legacy that of that record. Well, I mean, it's a it was a wise decision at the time, especially what I was saying is my first killing time was uh, actual tape. And that was, you know, like passed around. Like you had the Killing Time tape. <laughs> you know, you got a tape, you know. And you, if, if you were lucky, you got one of your, like somebody might have some bullshit, you know, like on a dub. But you never had the real deal until that CD was present. It was hard to find by the time. And, yeah. Um, as, as, I've always wondered because you have such a wide berth of interest musically. You were, uh, you were an Electric Frankenstein and. You know, you have Kings Destroy Now, like, it had to be something that you love to keep thinking about Killing Time and also about Breakdown. But then it's also, when we talk about the Carl Picaro story, not so much the, the Killing Time story, what do you think pushed you to start playing in other bands? Was it that it was harder to play hardcore shows? Or you just, your chops develop, your interests develop? What do you think you specifically had in you to start doing stuff like electric Frank, uh, Frankenstein and other stuff. Dude, I just love playing music, man. I want to like, I want to be playing the guitar. I want to be like writing songs. I want to be coming up with riffs. I want to be playing live gigs. And like, I mean, electric Frankenstein was really just, that came out of, that came out of nowhere. I mean, I love, I love like, you know, punk rock and proto punk and just like, you know, but like, uh, my buddy Rob had, uh, he was playing in a band called Fur, who were on Blackout. Um, And uh, they played with Electric Frankenstein, and then Electric Frankenstein recruited him, and then they needed a guitarist, and Rob was like, "Um, bring Carl in. I joined joined them. And uh, it was great. We got to do, uh, we got to do a really cool record, Couple, couple of we did a full album called Buzz of a Thousand Volts. We did like an EP called Annie's Grave. Stuff was produced by Phil Caivano from Monster Magnet, who used to be in like a Blitz Beer. We did show. We did a lot of European stuff. We did a lot, a lot of dates around the U.S. So like, yeah, man, I really just loved that that music. I mean, I've always, I've always, I, I always want to be in a band, and I, and I always want to be creative, and I always want to be playing. I'm like, prob- I'm in like five groups right now, so I mean, yeah, I just want to keep. The, I, I, it's 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 an essential part of me, and if I'm not doing it, I'm not fully, I'm not I'm not fully good, man. I'm not fully alive unless I'm, I'm I'm feeding that that part of me. But Killing Time, man, always always has to come back because it always has to be something because it's just a. I don't know, man. The, just the the group of us uh, together, and what and, and our sound, and what we mean to each other and to other people too. I guess it's it's important to me, and uh, it's just gonna be weird, man. It's just it's like uh, no rich is like the it's uh, that's uh, 
going to be weird moving forward like that. I, I'll, I wanted to get to that, but I, because I, I, we're talking about in the 90s, it's, it's an interesting thing where like breakdown splits up, the schism. We got breakdown killing time, breakdown sort of goes away, killing time's getting more active, things are rolling, and breakdown comes back with Dijon. Did you guys play in New York any shows together when like there was like the Jeff Dijon breakdown? No, man, never, never. Yeah, so like I, I never saw a flyer, and I've always wondered if because of the way the incestuous nature of New York hardcore billing, if you guys just ended up on a bill together or if it just never happened back then. It, I don't know. I, we didn't, we didn't actively say we're not playing with those guys. Like there was never a bill where like, someone proposed a show. And we didn't do it. I don't know why no one did. That would have been a good. That would have been a good fucking gig back then, wouldn't it? Have? Yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> but like, it, and, but the funny thing is, the beef was kind of still almost alive, you know. Not you know, not with Don because because <laughs> Don is like, I don't know, Don, Don and I go back so fucking far. But we didn't really talk with Jeff, man. And uh, it's so stupid because like. I love Jeff. <laughs> like, it's like. Well, at one point, didn't he? He he eventually became Baltimore. He like moved away to the, you know. Yeah, he so. moved away. Our bands never played together, so it was you know, there was just that residual kind of strange feeling, and then just compounded by just years of just not even talking to each other uh, uh, at all. You know, um, it was a great it was a great time when we eventually did get back together. So. Well, that's that's what I was. That's what I'm sort of eventually walked towards it. My thought process is like that the nineties for killing time had some ups and downs. And then at a certain time, I wonder where your heads were at. Like aside, I mean, you guys would play, I think you guys did play a posse numbers, right? Or that no, was dude, we, we, that we, wasn't we there. We set up our merch and there was just some kind of like big fight. Okay. So then, then the whole thing got shut down. Yeah, that was an 05. That was, yeah, that yeah. was an 0. Yeah, that was an 04 or 05. But I, for some reason, I, I No, it, it had to be 05 or, or, or 06 because we we weren't playing together in 04. Oh, you know what? No, it was an 05 because 06 was uh, 05, but that ended up being the last of it. Sorry, you guys never played Posse Numbers. So where was like, where was Killing Time and your brain at? towards the end of the 90s rolling into stuff because i know you guys were doing shit but then it kind of slowed down and i wanted to know where the slowdown came from uh i don't know it's like typical fucking killing time shit like where it's like just different fucking different priorities i remember like uh, and, and this is just i'm just laying it out there this is what happened but like we the the method record was coming out and we were active. We were doing a lot of shit, man. Like we're playing good shows. Like we we're in like the scene was different, but we were getting out there and we were traveling around <clears throat> and, uh, and doing uh, East coast gigs. And when the record was about to get dropped on, uh, on blackout, I set up a look, I set up a tour. I set up like a full on DIY tour myself, which was like, it was a little bit. It was a little bit of a stretch, in terms of like the reach of distance that we had. Like we normally played, like in a van. Like it. It was as far out. It was probably as far out like west as like 
Ohio and stuff. Like it wasn't huge, like it wasn't huge, but it was like, you know, killing time is usually traveling, you know, in between, you know, Boston and DC and Virginia, you know, that's like, but, um, I booked this whole fucking thing and, uh, I, I don't know if it was just Anthony or if it was Anthony and someone else, but bailed on it like right before it was supposed to go down. So it's like, it was like another one of those fucking like false starts for us, you know? Where I kind of felt like, all right, look, we, we did this fucking record. We're proud of it. It's coming out on 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 Blackout. Let's just go out and fucking give it a go and support it. And, and it didn't happen. And I think that's maybe where the seeds of, of discontent were sown for like Killing Time version two. Um, we kept playing shows, but I, I just remember specifically there was a show we played at like at. Um, Newburgh, uh, it was like a skate, skate park, park show. Yeah, no, and it just like dude, it just didn't go well. It just like it didn't go well for us. It was not a, it was not a good night for us. Like the show, the the show was one of these epic shows that had been going on all day, and it was like a Sunday. Oh yeah, and they had us on, dude, last, and it was like so fucking late, and like our energy was like shit and the crowd's energy was shit and it's like it was another one of those like killing time go fuck yourself moments and like we didn't we didn't see each other again for a number of years after that you know <laughs> it's funny how that happens with us it's like well that's that's what i remember is like there was a moment where killing time was like every not everywhere but often and then yeah we were just like, we were busy to... in those years. you're not wrong like we did a lot you know yeah, it was uh, it was something that I didn't know if it was just family, kids, everyone getting older, if it was something specific. I mean, it, it it is those things, probably, yeah. But like you know, but it's more just like you know, we just come to these moments where like, I don't know, just everything gets fucking heated up, and it, we just people get fuck, people just get sick of it and get sick of each other and want to be away from. It. I don't, I, I don't know, I, I don't, I, I can't, I can't place it, but that's. That's what happened. We played that show in Newburgh, and it just uh, we just imploded on each other after that, and 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 uh, we didn't appear again for a number of years. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like bands go through these moments. Sometimes it's Europe. Sometimes it's like something where like the tour doesn't go right, and bands are like I just have a regular job. I don't need this fucking bullshit. Sometimes you just feel like the winds of change are coming, but. Throughout that, I always feel the other part of it is by not being as active, there was a legacy kind of built up through the entire 2000s where, you know, obviously the posse numbers where you guys were wanted to play, but the fight happened. You guys couldn't play. What year uh, What, what year? What year did you say that was? That was 05 because the first year of this article was 06. Because oh, there right. was no posse numbers. So in 06, in 06, Killing Time did a show in florida but the singer from uppercut sang because anthony we didn't want to fly in florida yeah with the uh tom significant dude unless maybe anthony played i thought he did no anthony did play that oh he did play that one yeah he did play that we played we played miami and we played uh up in tampa with tom and and slap on the bill too yeah i remember i remember because we were trying to link up the first year of this hardcore, but we couldn't make it happen. I think we did the second year, maybe. 
And then so what happened? Well, what happened is is I like feel like the way that hardcore shapes itself is every couple of years some bands get brought into the scene and then they have their favorite bands and I mean there was that moment which shouldn't be overlooked is that Madball covered Fools Die and I on the Look My Way which is way earlier on but that I still think has a little piece of keeping you guys in the pantheon of like more modern kids because they had to fucking learn that song and even that was in the late nineties. But I, I would remember, agree. I remember, I remember just by the time around, by the end of the two thousands, it was like killing time was a band that so many fucking young people like loved, you know, bands covered them out, out like so many different uh, covers were happening. And I'm just so happy overall between Killing Time and you reuniting with Jeff and doing the 89 breakdown stuff later. It would just, it's great to hear that even though you guys had that early schism, that all your friends and your friends groups got to actually play shows together and kind of lock yourselves back in. And I mean, the timeline, if you think about it too, you think about like the 2010s and we're talking about stuff that you guys had to wait to fix from. 86, 87 is kind of crazy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But uh, um, what are your thoughts when I when I say, like, that took that long? Like, does that aggravate you or you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I wish? <laughs> I mean, yeah. we, we've traveled our, our – our, we've traveled on a much less linear path than a, a lot of the other bands out there. We've kind of been all over the place with the way we've done it, but uh, – it's interesting to think that um, uh, from two, from the mid two thousands when we did the first reunion show uh, in Brooklyn, the two shows we did at North Six, and then the failed Posse numbers, and then coming to play the next year with you, we've been around since then. So it's like it's like we're currently in our longest period of, of, of activity, you know, we've been active, both break, both the original, like 1987 breakdown and, uh, and killing time have been active since, you know, 2005 or 2006 pretty steadily. So it's, I don't know. How surreal is that? If you think about it, like it's kind of silly, but it's cool. I mean, I'm good with it. (laughs) It's great. It's like, it took decades for you guys to be like more of a functioning unit. Like, (laughs) Oh shit. Um, there's a lot of car per car stuff that we probably don't know because it's not attached to killing time and breakdown. And, um, and you know, there's like, obviously like family and personal stuff, but like, the musical side to you, I mean, I remember one of the earliest Code Orange. Actually, the first time I booked Code Orange Kids on any show that wasn't the fest, they played with Kings Destroy at the Barbary at a matinee when they were the kids. And I was just, I, you know, you and I started getting really getting to know each other more, but I was just mind blown that you were in this band. And that takes us back to, like you saying, like you just wanted to be in bands and you were into a lot of different music. But is there stuff that I didn't cover as far as like bands that you worked on that we should know about, or has it just been kind of like like projects that you worked on more so than anything? I mean, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of projects and a lot of music, but yeah, I think we cover most of the most of the bigger most yeah, of the stuff. It's the bigger stuff. Time. That's the thing is, is we're past the bigger stuff. Like, you know, you're a you're a musician. 
You know, I mean, like, yeah. even like we talked about it in um, the, we talked about it in your episode where you have the new band that was kind of spurned out of doing the Alone in the Crowd set and Davin singing with you guys that song. And it's like you're constantly pressing and you're constantly trying to be in band. So it's fantastic because you think about if, if another person with a more conversion attitude towards things would be like, try breakdown and we've split up. I tried killing time and things like fuck this. I'm just going to have a regular job. But instead you, you were all in on the music and it's actually fucking fantastic. I was hoping that we would have a better understanding of where you look at music and why you did all these bands and whether they it ever mattered if they didn't get some of the same recognition as some of the stuff that you did previously. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Well, and cause you had said, you had said that you did these bands, but I, my, my, the goal of my question was kind of, and you started to alliterate it by saying that you'd passed up jobs and you just did it and you just love playing. Yeah. But, but because you had success at such a young age with breakdown and killing time, do you think that allowed you to not press that kind of need to succeed in projects? Uh, that's a good question. I think that made, I think that's what made me want to keep on doing it, man. It's just that fucking taste of just like, of, of like, uh, of starting off, I'm starting off like that and making a, a strong connection right away with one band after the next band, you know? I mean, that just, that, that, that instilled, I think that just instilled in me that you just, you know, you just keep playing and you just keep going forward and you keep doing new projects and, uh, you keep experimenting and, and, and keep pushing, uh, and keep pushing the ball. I, I always, I always think about like the fact that, we had this talk about one years, years, years ago about, you know, trying to link up a, a, a side, uh, not a side by side, alone in a crowd show. And it's just like another one of those things that just happens with you, where you're like in a certain time and you're friends with everybody. Jules is trying to do this thing. And you're right there at the right time to do this one recording. You're doing this one show. And, and <laughs> There's so much that came because of a lone crowd. Like in the early 2000s on the internet, you could go to like Bridge Nine Board and there'd be a kid like alone in the crowd is the single handed greatest hardcore band of all time. And it's like they play one show, they've got one recording, and it's like you 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 fell into the right things at the right time, in my opinion. Whether it was just a, the the finding hardcore, the finding no, them people, you know, like. I and think it's just a serendipitous really, thing. Really feel like it, you know. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I guess it was, man. What, and then the, um, something that I I was talking to Howie about, he had hit me up around my birthday, and we were talking. The power of hardcore was really something that I, you know it takes me to do benefit shows. Remember, but when you hit me up and said about would you want to do the benefit show. And you dropped that we could do alone in the crowd was to me like the sickest thing ever to do. And it wasn't not only just for the promoting of alone in the crowd show, but sometimes it takes a band like that. Like, I mean, you guys played the Roger uh, benefit show many years ago, like hardcore shows have always had benefit hardcore show specifically has always had a way to help our scene out. And that right. was like, to me, one of the finest moments for modern hardcore to see, a bill like that just singularly focused on helping this dude. And 
I, I never really talk about it on the podcast because it's not come up, but like you guys putting that show together and, and saying, fuck it, we'll do another one literally changed that man's life. Yeah. And and there's so much ego sometimes with bands where like, I don't feel like doing it. Or, you know, like there's this posterity thing of like not wanting to do certain things. And it was one of the most fantastic moments where everybody kind of put everything aside and said, no, we want this show to happen so this guy can move forward. And that was all, all on you guys, man. And that was a fantastic thing and a good lesson for so many people to learn in hardcore. Like these shows can change people, man. Fucked me up. <laughs> like it really fucked me yeah, up. Yeah, man. And like to talk to him now, he's so much better. And it's yeah. like, it's a surreality that I don't like the it's a wonderful life thing. But like, if you guys didn't come around and you guys didn't do that show, I don't know where he'd be. That was fucking fantastic. Um, Talking more on darker shit. Last time I saw you was in Florida and Rich was still there. And I have to wonder where your head's at as far as like, any performing without him and you know what you're what you think and like what position it places you since you've been in a stage with him in so many different capacities through all these years i mean he posted this thing a couple uh a little bit before he passed that blew my mind about that like his little bike trail like the bike trail of hardcore you know like all the people what did he say about it it was some kind of gps route of like his bike route and it went yeah. around all these people in hardcore. And dude, I was making fun of him for that. I was like, dude, why are you fucking stalking outside my parents' old house? Like, you know. <laughs> but it, 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 it was that's cool that he did that. Yeah. It, un, it, it unintentionally probably for his thing. And obviously he's not here for me to ask. But like, it fucking hit me. Because that's the kind of neighborhoods we grew up in. Yeah. Where, you know, we all knew where each other's moms lived. And the first shows that I was putting on were a couple blocks from people's houses. Like our neighborhoods were set up very similar. Like I said, I lived a couple blocks away, but I was way too young for pizzazz. Years later, we would do shows at the, at the Y that I think you guys in sick of it all and arresting officers would play at. And like, there's all these different places close to our neighborhoods and to see New York hardcore guys living in the same kind of neighborhoods was like a, <laughs> like a light, well, it's a light bulb moment. Cause you don't really think about, you think about guys in bands. You don't think about neighborhood guys and the connection. Yeah, and and that was the f- most beautiful. That was the fir- that was that was first and foremost, though. You know, that was that that was we were all just yeah. neighborhood guys who were friends with each other. Well, and that's like hanging out with you guys. That's what it is. Like you know, like and and like Rich specifically, he's got this big ass smile, and he knows half the people he's selling merch. Well, oh yeah, I met this person, and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> like and that's what we think. He's like he would no matter what show we would do, he would tell me like, oh you know, I met this guy. You know, like. Just a fantastic human, but I have to wonder: is there is there any is there any kind of like thing that you think would hold you guys back? Is it would he hold his not being there hold you guys back from playing? I don't know. I kind of thought that maybe we wouldn't play when it first happened, but I don't know. I, I think he would want us to play. I think it would be a tribute to him. Uh, it'll be strange to do it without him. We have no plans on playing, but uh. I suspect that we will. I I, I heard Anthony. Uh, I listened to Anthony on uh, on Danny's uh, uh, podcast, and I listened to Jeff on Hoya's podcast, and both of them seemed to say that they were ready to play. 
Anthony even said that he was ready to go and play Europe, which I was surprised to hear. But uh, I don't know. I, I suppose we're going to play, and we're going to, and we're going to, we're going to move on. And and uh, Rich is not going to be on the stage with us, but it's going to be a tribute to him. And it's sad, man. I, I, I'll, I'll I'll miss him. Um, but uh, I, I, I suspect we're I suspect we're uh, I suspect we're gonna we're gonna power on. Well, I know with the I know you guys got the method show in the is it in the works yet or is it no, is, it, is it theory it's all theory it's no. just Bill Bill it's saying you're gonna not play. in the works I do plan on calling all the guys and just I want to have <laughs> I want to have a practice where we just work on the method songs and and I'm talking about some internal shit but I think it's people find it interesting I, I just want to have a I want to have a I want to have a practice where we're just going to work on the method songs and we're going to have dinner with each other and we're not going to have, we're not going to be practicing for any kind of show that's happening. It's just going to be like it used to be. It's just going to be a practice and we're going to be friends and we're going to hang out and we're going to tell stories. And that's the next thing I'm looking forward to. We have no shows booked, but we do want to do that. I've mentioned that before. Um, we're really psyched that blackout put out the method record and I would like to attempt to to play that record uh, its entirety, and I, and I hope uh, people will uh, will come uh, will come out and see it. You know, people are often just you know waiting for us to play the bright side songs when we're playing the method songs. But uh, <laughs> I hope. there was a this is hardcore moment, and I'm gonna try to find Sonny to see the video. You guys play, and you guys played two songs or something off the newer record. Yeah, he turned you guys and was like, "Only the fucking old shit." And you guys like audible <laughs> right into it, like. But it was it was interesting because that's something I'd like to get into is like, how hard is it to escape being killing time or uh, you know, the eighty seven breakdown, and and want to have a new legacy or a different than just those songs. Like, uh, it's it's something that obviously like a sick of it all and a man ball. And an AF, they've got a record every two or three years for a tour right. cycle. So, like, it's almost expected that when you walk into a Manball Sigabro show, 90% of their tours are routed with promoting a record in mind. So, you may not hear everything. Right. But how does it affect you as a player and as a musician where your heart's on some new shit that you wrote, but the fans want this stuff that you guys did when you're like 17, 18? <laughs> it's tough, man. It's tough. I'll, I'll be honest with you. But you know the reaction that we get when we play that uh, the bright side record is so great that it it offsets it a little bit. But yeah, I mean it's like it, it's it's tough because people just people people just want to hear that record, you know. But then they it's hard for it's it's hard. I mean people like the people like the other stuff, and you get a reaction, but it's not the same kind of reaction, you know. And uh, yeah, and oftentimes you, you know. Anthony will get all amped up like that too because he's you know he's the front man he's the he's the guy out there you know dealing with the crowd so it's, you know he wants to he wants to see that reaction so a lot of times he'll it's harder for him you know we're we're playing our instruments we're we're enjoying playing some of the stuff that is from the nineties on the Method record or from twenty ten on the uh, on the Three Steps Back record but uh, yeah it's more difficult for him to sell that stuff you know when people are not like. When people, when there's not someone ready to sing every lyric for him, like whenever he wants to take a break, so 
I don't know. It, it, it is, uh, it is what it is. That record is one of the reasons it's the reason people want to come see us. So I, I can't, I can't hate on the fact that people want to hear it, but we do like to play some of our other material too. Uh, you're, you are now another member of this uh, podcast group that have done so many amazing things before they turned 21 and completely impacted hardcore with these songs. What do you mean? You got Wally, who was hid, GB, he was in You Today. You have, uh, who do we have? Um, fuck. I'm so bad with names, even though this on the fucking podcast. Oh, Richie from uh, Underdog and Into Another. You know, you have these guys that do, you guys did amazing things, and it's one of the most interesting things to think about in hardcore. Like, it, a young kid can write a song that can last a lifetime. Yeah. It's it's fantastic to think about, you know? And you have a legacy in that. And I, I always wondered, as a player and a musician, you're obviously a thousand times better as a player now than when you wrote it. Oh shit, and, yeah. <laughs> and you think about it like think about like Paris wasn't wasn't uh seventeen when he wrote the you know, the blueprint for what would be Age of Quarrel. He was on the show. The more I talk to people in these iconic roles, I'm always like you would think a master takes 20 years to get good and he writes like the magnum opus, but for right, so right. many people, it's so reversed. It's like, yeah, the hardcore magnum opus comes out, comes out when you barely know how to play your instrument and it's all just fucking anger and fucking inspiration. And like, yeah, it's funny. Well, I, I, I asked that. You're already of that. Yeah. Like, so I asked that, like, do you, because you have so much more to offer, as a player and a writer, do you try to write to that? Or do you just go with like, how does it to write now? If you had to write a new killing time song or a new breakdown song, is there a path that you go where I don't want it to sound like, or it's organically whatever you think fits. I'm so, I'm such a wide ranging player with so much inspiration from different, different genres that I can't, I have to be like, I have to think I mean, I haven't written any new Killing Time songs, but if I was to, I would have to be like, I'd have to put my 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 head in the space that this is this is a Killing Time song. This has to have the elements of a Killing Time song, um, and go at it that way. Um, but I don't like to. I wouldn't ever try to like imitate any of our older material. But you put yourself in the in the mindset where it's like it's going to have this kind of shit. It's going to be, it's going to be intense. It's going to like have some, some, some fast parts. It's going to have like some breakdowns. It's going to have some heavy riffs and it's still the same impetus too. Like that we had, like when we started writing breakdown songs, it's like, it's just going to have that kind of part. That's going to make people want to fucking move, go crazy, fuck shit up. <laughs> that, that hasn't got, that hasn't gone away. And like, yeah. you know, I'm doing that, <clears throat> I'm doing that band, uh, you know, Dread with Davin and with Lars and Kenny. And uh, so we're writing a lot of like hardcore stuff. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're like, you know, yeah, uh, that's like bringing me kind of back to like the same vibe as writing like Breakdown and Killing Time songs, which is something I haven't done in a little bit of time. Yeah, I know you've been practicing with them and I, 
I wonder when you guys sit there and write new shit, is it is it hard to not just feel like almost blessed that you're at the stage in your life, you're still playing with some of your oldest friends and this stuff that you guys started that I mean, think about it, when you entered hardcore wasn't even in the first ten years. Like it was still green, it was still growing. Right. And now you guys felt like it had been around forever, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, that was like things like tied down by negative approach. Felt like I was listening to like a a relic from days gone by. (laughs) It was like came out three years of earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's what I was getting at is this: the way time and space moves with hardcore. You're you're so many years after you guys first started. Is there ever a moment in your head where you're like? fuck we're lucky or like what the fuck are we doing like which is it do you feel lucky do you feel like that this is just a part of you so much you couldn't think of something else like what do you think when you get into that room when you do the dread stuff like holy fuck we're still rocking like this i i I just think this is fucking what i this is i think this is what i fucking do and this is what i fucking do well and this is what this is like what comes out like breathe like fucking breathing like if i just have to fucking play something this is what it's going to sound like and this is who i am like it i didn't always i didn't always i wasn't always as, as in touch with that as i as i am now just because like i don't know you start to think about this stuff more you start the your bands are playing you're doing interviews you're talking about it i'm doing podcasts with you like yeah that's just like it's fucking in my blood man it has been since the mid 80s do you uh do you expect that there'll ever be like a big Yonker original guys reunion ever. What do you I mean? I love the idea that you guys all linked up like they had the angel. And I love that the, the, they're like, cause we had neighborhood kids like that. Like the, we had a different neighborhood friends who had like the brothers, like you had the angel Lily brothers and Gibson and all this stuff. Like is there ever like a reunion just for you guys not as a show, but like you guys all get together and be like, Holy fuck. We're all still here. Those who are still here. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a great idea. <laughs> There's no one. We're we're so kind of we're kind of so scattered around like no one ever sees each other, but that would be fucking cool as fuck. What's well, I, I know? Cool to have all those bands play together sometime too, you know? Like, well, that's what I wonder. So killing time and mortician and fucking immolation, fucking malignancy and fucking I'm missing a lot of them, but like you know, you guys you guys went through that entire era, and I love what Bill touched on in so many of the metal stuff. And it, you guys seemed like a fish out of water in so many different times, but you guys saw so uniquely yourselves that you were embraced in like true fashion and became like a huge part of New York hardcore that it's got to feel good when you see like a 16 year old kid who's like excited on something, even whether it's, whether it's the, where the wild things are or just breakdown shit or killing time. It's got to be like, fuck yeah. As like, you know, we did this, you know, like yeah, it, it, it is. And it's one, it's one of the things that makes you want to keep fucking doing it, man. I, I, I like right now when when it comes to like just killing time. I I still want to get out there as much as we can. I Man, I'm not like you know. I don't want to. I don't want. I, I don't want anyone to break their. I don't want to. I don't want to break anyone's balls about like doing shit. But like you know, it's like I do want to like bring this group of people. Sadly, without Rich, but I do want to. I do want to get out there and let as many younger people as possible get to see us you know it's like um 
I'd like to go over to Europe with Anthony. I'm like we've 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 played over there twice with two different singers. We've never played with the original singer. Um, we'll put the call yeah. in the mark. I don't know that. What's that? We'll put the call in the mark. <laughs> so you know, I mean, I definitely, yeah, I definitely, I, I there's definitely, uh, there's definitely more to do for uh, for the bunch of us. Now, this is um, this this thing that I think about when I think of bands and you guys is it it's a it started at, for you guys as a youth and you guys basically seeded what be a youth culture. So when a band like a person like in a band like yourself, like wants young people to see it, it's really like one of the perfect circle things because you're infecting the next generation. Yeah, I hope I'm gonna, so. I'm gonna ask you three or four questions. We'll get. I know it's getting late, and uh, we started late. If you could think of one band in the early stages that you feel just didn't get the same, the or should be higher or more recognized by people today, who do you think it would be out of like, whether it was a breakdown time or killing time or whatever, you know? Hmm. It's hard to say. Huh? I always thought like the crumb suckers were a band that more people should know, but they sort of disappeared from the scene so quickly, but they were very influential to me when I started going to CPs. Um, I don't know. You mean bands that never really got any recognition, that kind of thing? Like a band that you played with that you're like, how the fuck didn't more people know about them? Or they were known at that time, but now they're lost to the sands of time. Right. It's hard to say, man. No one in particular. All right, we'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't think. That's a tough question. <laughs> well, I know there's so many of it, you know, like there's just so much, there's so much of that. I had, to, I just had to ask, you know, um, what do you think is your biggest regret, whether it was in the business aspect or the writing aspect, in in the two bands that we covered in these two episodes? Well, I mean, with Breakdown, it's the biggest regret is that we just never, that we just didn't even give ourselves a chance. You know, we were around together for like, I think it was a year or less than a year. There was definitely more stuff for us to explore and to, and to do together. And, uh, and with killing time, it's that we were just, uh, that we, that we spent so much, so much, uh, time down. And it was like so much, so many years that we were not together that we just never had a very, we never had a very straight through line in terms of like what we were going to do. You know, everyone kind of had a different idea and we had our, we had bursts of activity, but you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't stay. We didn't. We didn't stay the course. You know, we we broke up for chunks of years. You know, so that's probably my biggest regret with them. And had we had we not done that, we we might have uh, had more material out. We might have uh, done more uh, more tours. But uh, yeah, I guess that's my biggest regret with that one. Is there is there ever a reason why you guys didn't go the sick of it all route that early on when you had the in effect and all that? I I don't know. I try, I chalk it up to those guys just really just kind of being having a more of an understanding of and and, and focus at uh, as to what they were doing and, and us us being just more just being five guys with 
who liked to create music together, but had five di completely different ideas of where we wanted to go in life. Those guys knew early that that's what they wanted to do, and they went and they went and they did it. We we, we were we were pulling in five different directions, and it didn't hurt the, it didn't hurt the music, but it just no. didn't focus on like where on what we what we were supposed to do as a band, and it resulted us in us you know, breaking up a couple of times. Would you say that there's one moment that you can think of that you wish to go back and relive as either breakdown or killing time, whether it's a show, <laughs> like, is there like one moment you're like, fuck, I'd love to do that again. Like just to feel like, like, cause I know you said, and especially for you, because you said you don't even remember, like I could barely fucking remember. Like, is there one moment you like to jump back in yeah. your body, like time travel back and get your love body? Yeah, like like that show we talked about. I'd love to kind of really kind of experience that Ritz show again, and just like see all the sets and like be present in our set and remember what it was what was going on and what it felt like for sure. Because that was like the moment. That was like that. That was the moment when kind of New York hardcore took on a whole new meaning for for me and for a lot of people. I think. Dude, that those rich shows were so impactful and changing hardcore, and it's yeah. just amazing to see you guys a part of it and like on those early bills. I mean, like, fuck, you guys are just like literally your second show. You're on one of the crazy, and then like a year later, you're on the show. A week when the the leeway record's about to come out, it's like a perfect timing, and I think what you said about like you guys were so living in the moment, you never took one step and like this is going to be legendary. You're like, no, this yeah. is fucking great. We love it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, true. I know we talked to you a long time. Is there anything you want to add to this? Is there anything I missed in the last episode? Is there anything you kind of want to leave us with? Listen, I think we covered everything, and uh, I'm just looking forward to uh, the next chapter. If that means, you know, coming out to see people and, and play breakdown songs and, and play killing time songs and do shows and See what it's like post pandemic at a hardcore show. I haven't done Philly, that yet. Philly is ready. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this right now. Philly is ready for you. That's okay. all I say. We're ready for I mean, you. I want, yeah, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm psyched to see all those guys and play again, and, and you know, and uh, and also to work on the uh, on the new groups too. You yeah, know, Dread. Dread had our. We had we had a couple shows that got yeah, our show got so I'm looking forward to getting the show with together with the uh, well with that band. Davin's about to move up to New York, so like we're all going to be in the same city. Uh, that's going to be cool. And then Gordita Beach has got our first show on September 10th. I'm stoked about that. What's the deal uh, with that band? Um, everyone should check it out. It's going to be available soon. There is one song you can listen to on uh, on Bandcamp, and it's like. Um, it's a guy named uh, Derek Karg that was like in a band called uh, he, he was in a band um, that not a lot of people heard called Get Involved um, but that had some really notable people in the band and they did they did a re they, they recorded some stuff with Ross Robinson and they did some shows here and they did some shows in Europe and his stuff is just like real raging fast like hardcore and uh it's stuff that he kind of envisioned sounding like you know early 80s southern california hardcore but he wrote it all himself and he 
and, and I'm a, we worked together at a, at a club and, uh, um, I hooked up with him and, uh, said, all right, man, this is cool. I'll play guitar. And I called up, uh, I called up Chris uh, Seawolf and, uh, called up Drago, you know, from killing time. And so, you know, this guy got to have killing time, like back him up and record his songs. So, uh, Oh, it's fucking awesome. Full songs, and it's it's like a seven song, like just ripping EP that's going to come out soon. But there's one song available on, on Bandcamp. It's called uh, Gordita Beach, and uh, yeah, and uh, you know, Kings Destroy is about to go over to uh, play uh, uh, this band. I don't I don't know if you ever heard of this band called the Truck Fighters, but they're like a pretty popular band. They have this thing called the Fuzz Fest, which is like. Uh, you know, kind of like a doom, fuzzy, stoner, rock kind of festival. And uh, we're going to be playing that in, uh, in Sweden in November. And uh, and the Method, the Killing Time record is, is out. Um, I think it's mostly sold out. I think Blackout still has some copies on Black Vinyl. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to have that out. To eventually, as we talked about, to have a show where Killing Time plays the Method record in its entirety. And uh, yeah, those are the things that are uh, those are some of the things that are going on. I think that's all of it. That's fucking. <laughs> that's great that you even have that, considering all the people that kind of sat and on their hands and complained on the internet. It's great to see that you're still moving. Yeah, I don't do anything on the internet, but in person, I'll complain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I just appreciate everything you've done for allowing us to put you on so many shows. Uh, yeah, listen, always... thank, you for, thank you for having us on those shows. Those have been some of the greatest shows, man. You got you you uh, you really know how to put together a good gig. Took me tw- it took me twenty four years to figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> I remember the first time we had a conversation and you just talked to my ear off about how about how great a gig it was going to be and how positive the scene was and you know how proud you were of everybody and, and we went down there and it was all true. So uh, like <laughs> it's. We did a, a lot like what you were talking about with the New York scene, where at certain stages in Philadelphia, we we specifically and myself were not always at our best behavior, and I, I feel like we had to kind of like make up for it. And I love that we were able to do what we could do for bands like yours because your band specifically gave us so much, you know. So thank it's a, you. It's a thing. Um, I'm gonna put all that link with that band. Uh, well, you'll send me the info. I'll put it up on the show. Yeah, we're, gonna, we're looking forward to you in any capacity coming back. Um, thank you for giving us now, which will be all about over three hours of uh, content. To wow. it, really appreciate just giving us the stories because this is like really one of these things where in this in this podcast medium, there's so much that people can listen to and understand, and give new ideas and perspectives on how things were from your eyes and. I just really appreciate you being candid and thank you for just doing two episodes. You're the yep. first of our guys that did part one that immediately was like, let's do part two. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for, uh, thanks right. for having me on, man. Always, right. uh, always cool to talk. And if, no, other, people are gonna li- if other people are going to listen in, that's fine. You know? no, it's and, uh, awesome. Yeah. Let's do some shows together. It's going to happen, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. All right. Take care. Well, that's it. Why don't you try writing some fucking shit like that back when you're a kid and then end up a full ass grown adult with a wife and responsibilities and yet you still look forward to playing the same fucking shows with the same friends you found hardcore with. 
That isn't fucking cool. I don't know what is. Carl, you're a cool motherfucker. I've told you that a million times. So glad that we got to become friendly. So glad that you trusted me to put on these shows in Philadelphia for your bands. And I really love being able to share your story, Carl. And he didn't listen to the last episode, so he ain't probably listened to this one. But I'll say anyway, I appreciate Carl. I appreciate Killing Time. I appreciate Breakdown. Um, I'll never forget Dave Franklin. I'll never forget Rich McLaughlin. I look forward to these bands playing again. I still love all this shit, and I loved hearing that he loved this shit. That's what it's all about. Yo, we got a new Rule 3 episode. Told you we're back, motherfuckers. Check out Post America Podcast for Richie. Boss, uh... Broadsheet Breakdown, hopefully they get a new episode out. And we're still coming out with episodes every week. No more new plant job. So I'm going to be banking these motherfuckers and getting ahead for once. Check this shit out. This is what this is about. Loving hardcore, talking to people, whether they were doing shows in 1980 or integral in shows in any other facet. All these people are linked together. And that's why I do this shit. And with almost... 50 fucking episodes down. I still love doing this. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the support. Hardcore still lives.